in the end, the best user experience is the one that's fast, the one that feels fluid, and the one that the user can have the best experience with. And that's that's really what we're all building this stuff for, <laughs> it's our users. Welcome back to Pod Rocket. I'm Emily, producer for Pod Rocket, and today we're back with the Launchpad, our monthly panel episode where we cover a wide range of topics trending in the world of web dev, as well as going into some of our guest hot takes at the end about what they're fired up or really passionate about in the world of web dev right now. But before we get into our recent news section, I'm going to introduce our panel. First, we have True Narla, also known as MewTrue on her Twitch account. True is a software engineer at Discord and has built a big following on Twitch where she streams herself coding. Welcome back to the podcast, True. Thanks so much for having me. Of course, of course. Next, we have Paige Needringhouse. She's a software engineer at Blue Wireless, author of Modernizing React Apps course, and the co-host of the React Roundup podcast. Welcome back as well, Paige. Thanks. I'm glad to be back. Great. And then to round out our panel of guests, we have Chris Batista also rejoining us. He is known as Trash Dev on Twitch, where he live codes and is a senior software engineer at Netflix. Welcome back, Chris. Hello, hello, hello. And you might hear me going back and forth of saying Chris and Trash, um, but he does like to be called Trash. (laughs) Yes, please call me Trash. (laughs) Uh, And then finally, we have our very own Noel Minchow. Welcome back, Noel, as always. Yo, thanks, Emily. Awesome. Well, I'm very excited to have everyone here to start off the new year. We're kind of going to go over a little bit of 2022 stuff and talk about what we're expecting for 2023. So I want to start off with our first topic. There was a state of front end 2022 report from the software house, which is a Polish custom software development company. And they released this report where they took about 3,700 survey responses from 125 countries. And it was commented on by 19 front end experts, uh, all from like Netflix, Cloudflare, AWS, so I want to go through a few of the points the report makes and just talk about the trends and see how they might develop in 2023. The first thing I want to discuss is styling tools. The survey found that SCSS is the leading styling tool of the year. Chris Coyer commented that while SAS has sustained its popularity over the years and is widely loved, developers are not solely using SCSS and utilizing other styling tools like Tailwind and CSS modules. Have you used SCSS this year? Why do you think it scored so high? Do you rather use Tailwind or CSS modules? What are your thoughts? Well, I can kick us off. Um, I have used SCSS this year. We use it for a lot of the projects that my company builds, but we also use it in conjunction with CSS modules um, and also design system libraries like Ant Design and Material Design. So You know, I think one of the biggest reasons that I still gravitate towards it and I really like it is just because I know I know how to use it well. I really like the nesting ability that it gives me for writing class names. The variables are great. Some of the just nicer functions that it offers. And a lot of these, I know they're being brought into the CSS language, so we don't need it nearly as much as we used to. But it's just something that I've learned to work with well and I enjoy 
I enjoy writing CSS with it. So it'll be, I think it'll be hard for us to, uh, to lose a lot of its popularity in, in the coming years because it is so ubiquitous and a lot of people are familiar and happy with how it works. So, I mean, yes, I, I keep using it. <laughs> Discord uses uh, CSS modules for their styling. I don't think we use SCSS actually, but a lot of what SCSS has that CSS doesn't makes it so much more useful, as you mentioned. It, the, the, just the nesting itself is just something that I really wish that we had. But yeah, I mean, I, I use um, on side projects, mostly Tailwind. I just really prefer writing styles right in where I'm writing my UI code. It's just, it makes it easier for me. I haven't used SCSS this year or last year, but it's I, I get why it's popular. So I'm going to say SAS because SCSS is just a really, it's way too long for me to say. So so in Netflix, we do use SAS. Um, going off these results here. I would say Tailwind's probably not at the top because it's pretty new, right? SAS has been around for a while. In my opinion, there's a lot more legacy mature apps that exist today that existed long before these extra things like style components, CSS modules, Tailwind. So given that, like, I feel like there's a lot more legacy apps than there are Greenfield. Like, well, I would like to say maybe more pet projects that people do toy these things. But in my opinion, this is kind of like a hot take or this is a kind of like a blanket statement in my mind is the industry is going to be majority legacy, therefore using either stuff like CSS or stuff like SAS that has existed um, for a while. Um, and then also you just got to think about like the teams, right? Like these choices of these tools, you have to get buy-in from everyone on your team. You can't just say, oh, we, we should use Tailwind tomorrow. That just doesn't work that way, right? You have to be pragmatic about these decisions. And SAS has been around for so long, has been proven to get the job done. I think that's why people start to lean on that. That doesn't mean that in 2023, we'll see a shift. We won't see a shift to use these more popular tools because granted, everyone can tell Tailwind is just like taking off, right? So I think Tailwind will eventually be higher, but I don't think it will ever actually ever fully take SAS, at least the near term. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I think I largely agree. Like, again, we, we have a smattering of tools we use across different projects and stuff, but SAS is so entrenched. I think that's where these numbers are coming from. It's easy, like the, the tooling is there. It's easy to find it. People know how it works, like linting and stuff, super easy. Let's go on to traditional hosting. The report said that from the respondents, hosting on a personal server dropped eight points since 2020 while using cloud-hosted services like AWS and particularly Vercel, which jumped 20 points increased by 64%. Um, how do we see hosting changing in 2023? Where Will personal servers continue to decrease? Do you see people moving more towards like AWS and Vercel? Yeah, for sure. Everything's changing. Like the reason why Vercel is taken off is for good reasons. People want to ship things and people don't necessarily care about infrastructure maintenance or wanting to know that. They just want to build things. They want people to see what they build. And if they can offload that extra cognitive load, um, they'll do it, right? Uh, obviously, cost comes into play, but I think at least starting off, I think it's a no-brainer to kind of offload all this infrastructure maintenance to the experts, uh, quote-unquote, right? Or I don't know who exactly is doing it behind the scenes. It's probably AWS behind the scenes. But I know personally, I don't really care. I just want to code my app. I want people to see what I'm working on. Um, and if if scaling is an issue, I guess that's a good problem. And I'll have someone like Vercel or if someone else handle that for me. Um, and then if it ends up being too expensive, then maybe I'll think about maybe doing it myself. But until then, I think uh, what developers want is just an easy barrier to entry to have your product seen by other people or just delivering things. 
Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with that. I have worked on applications where it is kind of a microservice architecture. So you have, you know, 15 backing services that are all having to be run on separate servers or having to be run in the cloud somewhere. And it's a nightmare, honestly, <laughs> to have to deal with that, to have to make sure the build pipelines are all working, everything's deploying correctly, you know, just everything is talking to each other and load balancing and all that stuff. So when companies are making that easier, and I don't have to think about it, like you said, I just press a button, it deploys, it's out there for the world to see. That is my ideal build and deploy scenario. Um, and kind of like you were saying, Trash, I want to just build the application and build the cool thing that somebody gets to interact with. I don't really care how it runs or how what CDNs it's it's cached on or where it is just as long as it's available. So if someone else can do that for me and they can do it with relatively low cost and ease on my end, I'll probably go for it. <laughs> yeah, the first time I used Vercel to deploy something, it was like magical. I, I don't know. It was just so nice because I remember when I was younger building stuff in high school, it was just so complicated for me to like, I have code on locally on my machine. How do I have it so that my friends can use this? And it just took me so long to figure that out. And now it's just really simple and easy. And I really, I think that's like the move too. Is this, when people talk about serverless, is this what they kind of talk about is like Vercel and that hosting? Or is that something completely different? In my head, like serverless is is more backend code that you are deploying to like cloud functions and stuff like that versus like front end hosting. I mean, the lines are always blurry, of course, right? And like the tooling's all changing, but I think that's kind of colloquially what people mean. I guess yeah, more broadly though, I'm always just I'm I'm surprised, especially that uh, because this uh, poll was focusing on front end devs. I'm surprised that these kind of like onto my own or my client servers numbers are still as high as they are. Just like the 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 web front end ecosystem is so mature now. Like there's so many options to just kind of one click push deploy. Maybe it's just like legacy systems. People can't get buy-in from customers and stuff like that. But like backends are more complicated. I get it. But it's like in the front end space, I'm just, I'm baffled. These numbers are still as high as they are. Cause this is what, like 37%. Like that just seems crazy to me. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's it's definitely legacy systems. It's large or even small companies who want their private enterprise servers on-prem or on private clouds. I mean, it's it's definitely all of that stuff. And I'm sure a lot of it is just tied to inertia. You know, it works this way. It's always worked this way. Why change it if it's still working for us? It's also probably like either, you know, engineers like to know how things work before they go and have someone else do it for them. So it could be a case of like pride and ego that someone's like, I know how to do it. So I don't need someone else to do it. And then they're like, okay, I'm tired of doing this. Let me go switch. Um, I always take the results from these surveys with a grain of salt in general anyway. Um, I truly don't believe that number. <laughs> if, it's, if it's fine, it's true. If it's, if it's that high, it's fine. But like, I don't know. It's just like, I don't know why you wouldn't use like something else other than like, you know, I get it. I want to know how like things work behind the scenes, but at some point, you know, you want to work on something else other than maintaining like infrastructure, right? I mean, there's only like 3,700 respondents. So there's so many more front-end engineers in the world. So it's a small subset of people. So yeah. On to the last point of the survey, static site generators. Samuel Snopko. Head of DevRel at Storyblock notes that larger companies are turning towards SSGs over Jamstack, and many companies in the industry like Next, Remix, and SvelteKit are racing to become the main static site generating solution. 
Do you see this rise in SSGs? How do you think that frameworks like Next, Remix, Gatsby, SvelteKit will continue to evolve? What do you want to see from them in regards to static site generators? I definitely see um, a lot of more SSG solutions. There's Astro that got really popular this year too that I tried out on stream. Um, and I get the 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 ease of use of it. The idea is just like you write HTML and then that's what you display. It's like very easy to use. And so similarly, like with SvelteKit, it's like Svelte is, is, is a language that's super similar to writing HTML. So like React has all this other underlying stuff. So when you're writing React, you have to know a lot of JavaScript and all that. But with a lot of these other tools, it's like pretty easy or frameworks. It's pretty easy to kind of just being someone that mostly writes HTML, CSS, it's a lot easier to get into. And so, yeah, I mean, SSGs, I, I really, I think it's super important. When I was working at Square, we were trying to rewrite our whole front end um, app from like a Ruby on Rails application and move towards something with JavaScript. So we were debating between using like Svelte, React, what do we do? And so SvelteKit would have made this a lot simpler <laughs> if it was out, you know, when we were doing those discussions. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what I would want to see, but I, I definitely think it's a really cool move for the next, like any, any static site this is like such a better way to solve it versus using something like React. So I do see a rise in like SSGs for sure. Most of the apps I work on are pretty dynamic. I can't truly SSG stuff. I need, I need a server to either server render it or do something else. But I mean, there is a fair amount of content sites and marketing sites. I think what I've seen in the past and my previous employers, we were using things like Next to server-side render it when we could have just SSG'd it and cached it on CDN and called it a day, right? And I think mainly it's just kind of like ignorance at first. People didn't really know what SSG was. They knew what server-side rendering was and they knew that was good for SEO, right? Which is the main thing, mostly the main reason why people use it. But now the SSG is becoming a main player and people are becoming more aware of these performance gains that you can get. I definitely see like sites that are either marketing or content heavy are going to strive in that direction. Because I don't know if this is obvious, but it's like with SEO, you rank higher with your performance. So if you have higher performance, then you know, you're know you going to become higher or rank higher in those results. So there's no, I know there's no reason in my mind why these marketing and content companies wouldn't be doing this other than they just aren't aware of it yet. Um, and then once they are, I think it will just be a steady rise. I think you both made some really good points. Um, True, you were saying how a lot of these SSG generators are more easily accessible to people who might have less JavaScript or just maybe software engineering backgrounds in general. And I think that that's really true. I worked on a Hugo site and it was great because it was so very easy because I knew HTML, I knew CSS, our designers could even get in there and do some small changes on their own. So that was great for that in that regard. And then also, like you were saying, Trash, you know, the benefits that we get from SSGs, the SEO benefits, the speed, the findability online, all of that is is huge. And it's it's just making things a lot easier. You know, everybody at one point thought that they had to have these massive JavaScript heavy websites. It had to be dynamic. And it was, you know, it was a, a basically a food recipe blog, or it was, it was something that didn't need nearly any of that interactivity or that really heavy bundle of, of just extra stuff coming over the wire that people thought they needed. So yeah, I can see why a lot of people are starting to go towards that. You know, the the company that I work for, Blues Wireless, our one of our sites is Next.js, and we do need the server-side rendering for it, but we have other ones where it's completely all SSG because it's just it is just content, it's documentation, it's examples. 
you know, in the end, the best user experience is the one that's fast, the one that feels fluid, and the one that the user can have the best experience with. Yeah, yeah, it kind of, I think I feel like SSGs are kind of the natural marriage of like people wanted these somewhat reactive front-end frameworks. They're nice to work in for developers, right? Like that's a big thing about like, you know, React View that I think we don't talk about as much. Like they're cool, they enable us to do reactivity, but they're also just nicer to work in than a lot of other frameworks. So like, I feel SSGs are kind of bridging that gap if we can have like really light, really performant bundled front ends that let us use these tools that we like using as devs. So I feel like that's just coming to fruition in these kind of having upticks in popularity. One thing I like to add, so we've been talking about stacks like generation. I don't know if listeners actually know what that is, right? Effectively what SSG is, it's like during your build step, you 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 just build HTML files and then serve those, right? But you can imagine, and if your site gets really big, this build step can get very, very long. So assuming you have like hundreds of routes, you don't want to build all of those during your build step, right? Because that's just going to take forever. So I know we, we hinted at um, ISG or incremental site generation that allows you to just regenerate specific pages as you want. And I know Next came out with something. I don't know when they did it, but basically you can hit an API now that will just on demand, just invalidate something and rebuild it. And I think that's super cool. I don't, to be honest, I don't do SSG too much on my end. Cause like I said before, a lot of my sites are very like app heavy dynamic, but I have heard the pains of many people that are in the SSG ecosystem where like, I don't want to build a hundred pages because I just changed a typo. I want to just change this one page. Um, that's kind of what ISG is solving there. Gatsby and Next have both been doing really, really cool stuff there. Cause like we've been uh, on our end on our, for our blog, we've been pushing it this way. We've got like thousands and thousands of blog posts. The build takes a long time from raw, but it's like when we have one post that gets pushed, we just need to update this one page so it's quick. So there's been big, big steps there that have made that a lot, a lot easier. Just kind of get up and spinning, like pointed at your repo, tell, tell the suite to do its thing. And it kind of just works. Um, so yeah, it's been cool to see. Yeah. Shout out to the blog to check it out. I, lo- I love all my content buds. <laughs> But one of you mentioned SvelteKit, or maybe I mentioned SvelteKit. 1.0 was finally released in December. And I don't know if you were watching Rich Harris tweet every day, the countdown, but I was anxiously awaiting. But I want to get your thoughts on SvelteKit. It's been two years in development, released in December. There's been a lot of buzz around it. Um, A lot of frameworks already publishing how to deploy SvelteKit to their own platforms. It's been generally well-received. Have you been excited about this release? Why or why not? Yeah. I mean, SvelteKit, I think, is an awesome turning point for Svelte because Svelte is just a really nice framework to work in if you're a developer. It's a nice way to build websites. The components are easy. The syntax is pretty easy to pick up. Um, So SvelteKit just added all the bells and whistles that you need if you want to be a framework that's taken seriously for large-scale production-style apps. You know, it adds in the routing and data fetching and caching and basically all the stuff that you need to consider if this is going to be a large application that a lot of people are going to be using or a lot of developers are going to be working with. Um, And so they really, I think they really kind of brought themselves into the conversation now to be considered for those big apps that you are going to have that will be either long running or are just, you know, ready for prime time. So I haven't gotten too far into the details of it yet, but I'm really excited too. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I love Svelte. I learned about Svelte just like this last year when I was streaming, and it's just such a 
fun way to write front end. I don't know. It was just, it was so fun. And so Svelkit, I also haven't like dug deep and used it yet, but I definitely love the direction that they're going in. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, when I worked at Square, I was on the team that handled squareup.com, which is a huge marketing site, lots of blogs. I picked Svelte as the language to go with. And if Svelkit was a thing back then, I would have been like, 100% this is the way that we should start moving towards. But yeah, I'm super excited. They're also going to introduce like incremental static regeneration like Trash mentioned. So that'll be awesome. And then Vercel, like uh, Rich Harris works at Vercel. Vercel is wonderful with documentation and it's just going to be, it's, I don't know, they're just doing such a good job with uh, launching and getting all these like docs up to date and, you know, all, all these tutorials. It's just really easy to pick up and learn. Do you see this release as felt kit? ushering in anything new that we haven't seen before um i know you guys kind of touched on it but like what do you how do you see salt kit changing maybe like the framework environment in 2023 or is it just another framework i mean it is it is another framework but that's great it's great to have options um one of the cool things that i've read about svelte kit is that it can do the dynamic data and the pre-existing pre-rendered data side by side in the same page so when you have something that you need to be dynamic like i think on their documentation itself actually they have a kind of like getting started with svelte tutorial and they'll give you some sort of prompt and then they have this live REPL next to it where you can actually type in see how the code changes in real time um so i think that's an a, a, one of the examples that they're talking about of that pre-rendered data plus live dynamic data so having that together in a nice way where you don't have to think about you know this should be server side generated this should be client side and then client side hydrated or things like that. I think they've taken care of a lot of that for us. So we don't have to specify it's a server component or it's client side. And that's great. I don't want to have to think about that if I don't have to. I will if you tell me that I need to with React or Next or things like that. But if they're if it's smart enough that it can do that for me, then all the better. Oh, sorry. So one thing I like to try, I'm not like a Svelte or a Svelte kit expert at all. But what I do know is, is it's pretty interesting to see like these meta frameworks kind of lean heavy on web standards and kind of be prescriptive on how things should be done. Like if you think about prescriptive frameworks, the first thing that comes to mind for me is like Angular, right? Angular is kind of like, we have our way of doing it, which is easy for people to kind of onboard and you get that consistency amongst teams, which is like the main draw for it for like enterprise software and stuff like that. Um, so things like Remix, things like Spellkit that kind of have like these kind of conventions, uh, I think it makes it a lot easier for engineers to build products in a more consistent way. If you think, if anyone's been in the React code base in multiple companies or multiple teams, every React code base looks completely different and they use completely different tools and it's kind of mind boggling sometimes. Um, so it's nice to see see these kind of prescriptive uh, frameworks. I don't wanna say maybe not so, maybe not prescriptive is too strong a word, but I think it is in my, in my mind. But it's funny because back then there was a whole divide between Angular engineers and React developers because they thought Angular was holding their hand too hard and React, want, React engineers wanted this freedom. And now we're going back to this thing where these opinions are being put on them and now they're happy about it. So it's like, we kind of like swung both ways because everyone's like, I want my own opinions, but then they, they don't even know what opinions they want. So then they just ask the experts for their opinions. So it's like, well, just just pick something, right? Um, so I just think it's just pretty funny in that sense. All right, next I want to go into the golden age of JavaScript. So this is actually an article that was published in January of 2022, but I thought it was kind of pertinent to how 2022 played out. 
everyone was very excited about TypeScript at the beginning of 2022. It obviously very much blew up this year. There was also an influx of meta frameworks like Trash was just talking about, uh, JavaScript increasingly used on the edge. And whether it's wise to solely rely on one language when you're developing. So considering how 2022 played out, I do want to touch on some of these points and how we might see JavaScript continue to evolve in 2023. So like I said, TypeScript kind of taking over the front end space. Generally, how do you see it evolving in 2023? Do you see more people adopting it? Um, Guillermo Rausch says that TypeScript can scale easier than JavaScript. Do you see this manifesting as more developers uh, adopt TypeScript? And how do you see that happening? I 100% think TypeScript is the future. <laughs> I, I don't know any big company that hasn't like started evolving or moving to TypeScript or has like fully moved to TypeScript. It's just, it, it doesn't make sense for me to keep, like have such a big production app still be in JavaScript. And then TypeScript also, there's so many packages nowadays that are getting really popular because of type safety. And so I definitely think that's the way of the future. So I, 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 so yeah, TypeScript, <laughs> I think. And it also, um, Guillermo did say, yeah, TypeScript can scale easier than JavaScript. Uh, it's just, I think a lot of people in their head think TypeScript is like a whole separate thing than JavaScript. A lot of people think it's hard and complicated. I don't think it's that much. A lot of, like when you're using TypeScript, a lot of times you're using all these libraries that kind of handle all that like fancy types for you. So you're using just like the, you're doing like the fun parts of TypeScript where it's like, oh, my thing matches up with this or it doesn't. And I can figure out what the error is. It's, you know, I, I feel like people get too caught up in their head of like having to have to switch to it and having it be a big problem. Um, but yeah, I'll let trash go. That'll be my first and then I'll jump back in later. <laughs> I don't I'll say my first hot take is if you're not using TypeScript, then you're probably just doing it wrong to begin with. I don't see a reason why you wouldn't use TypeScript from the beginning on any project going forward. One market demand for jobs is just blown up. Like if you want a job, learn TypeScript, right? Like if you don't know it, then I don't know what you're doing. Um, but also like like to choose point, there's like a huge influx of libraries um, about type safety. Everyone's like literally, like if I open Twitter right now, if I don't see a TypeScript post, between like every three tweets, then I don't know what I'm looking at, right? Like everyone's like on this TypeScript type train. And I mean, it's for good reason. It's not to say that TypeScript doesn't have any flaws, but it's way better than just writing JavaScript in my opinion. And if and if companies want it, then there's no reason why you, why you should, unless you don't like getting paid, I don't, you should you should learn TypeScript. Well, I I agree with you both. I I was late to the TypeScript train. I didn't get on it until summer of last year. Then I joined a new company and we had TypeScript, you know, code bases already. So that's kind of how I was thrown into it. And and honestly, I'm really glad that I was. It's it is maddening at times when I'm having issues and compiler warnings and my types aren't matching up. But it has also saved me from so many undefined null errors, things that wouldn't have worked, you know, typecast issues, all sorts of stuff. So it is it is not as bad, I would say, as something that is a strongly typed language, like if you've ever worked with Java or something like that, it's much more forgiving. It's for, for the most part, I think the errors are easier to understand or to figure out. And yeah, it is a hugely popular and only gaining steam in all organizations of all sizes, from little tiny startups to big enterprise level stuff. So I would definitely say if you have not 
gotten into it, get started and just, you know, build some side projects, turn type script on and see what happens. And yeah, I would, one of the huge things I think is, is that extra sense of security. You know, we started with writing unit tests and writing end-to-end tests and having things that kind of gave us a better sense that our application was going to work when it got into production and into users' hands. And I think the TypeScript just offers more of that, more security and sense that it will do what you expect it to do when people are interacting with it. So yeah, go for it. You know, don't don't shy away from it. It's it's only going to continue to get more and more popular. So yeah, TypeScript is here for a while at least. <laughs> yeah, I think I think to build on what uh, Paige said a little bit. Like it's interesting. It's interesting that all the like you know the, all these old type safe languages of old were always like I don't know talked about so kind of I don't know fearfully is the right term, but people were always like scared of using them because they thought it'd slow them down. But somehow TypeScript seems to have kind of like perfectly struck that balance where like devs seem to love using it, but it doesn't get in their way. Um, there's probably you know something to be said here like academically about language design here like that could you know like we should we should be learning lessons from this um but regardless i think i think we're kind of getting into this cool space where the the tooling is really getting there and you know now one can go set up like you can use uh use prisma or really any orm like and have it like use tools to have types spit out for that then you like have your api definitions use those types too and have them bubble all the way down to the front end then if you change the type of the database field here you run your command on all your types regenerate and you know where the front end is going to break and like that's a super cool place to be that was um, not really possible unless you were like fully bought into like the oracle or the microsoft stack before like a .NET app or something but now you can kind of do that with all these open source tools and everything just works uh it's, I think it's a, it's a fun time to be using types. Well, and one of the things that I, I just take it for granted now because I'm so used to using it is the, the IntelliSense that comes from it when you're using VS Code to do your coding and you're using TypeScript and it just knows. It knows what methods are available. It knows what parameters a function takes. It just, and it gives it all of that to you. So, you know, there's no guessing. There's no having to go look back at where the original thing was in the code base. It It's just, it's so helpful in that regard. And I think that that's awesome. That's probably one of the biggest benefits that we all just kind of take for granted, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think there's if there's any pushback towards TypeScript. So TypeScript at its core, if you just open up a TS file, no third-party libraries, TypeScript's pretty straightforward, right? I think where the pushback comes is when people try to use TypeScript with other libraries, like using TypeScript with React or TypeScript with whatever X tool, and you get these weird cryptic errors or it's like literally like a novel long and you just have to scroll to the bottom to see it. But we're, we're getting better at addressing this. Like the one of my homies, Matt Pocock, he wrote a VS Code extension that basically takes these long cryptic type errors and kind of translates them in a more human readable way. So it's like one way like the community has kind of taken step, steps forward to kind of ease that barrier to entry. But most times where I see people complain about TypeScript is not really like, it's more of them just trying to integrate with some library and potentially the library itself just has bad types. So they're just throwing any everywhere uh, without truly understanding anything. So yeah, I think that's like where some of the friction comes on. And I get it. Like people want to be productive, right? If some, if a tool's in your way, then don't use it. Cause at the end of the day, you do need to ship things. Right. But I think like after that week of just banging your head against the wall, you'll see like, you know, your your, product, your productivity graph kind of exponentially rise. Um, so I would say for anyone that doesn't, do, that doesn't do TypeScript now or you gave it a shot and you hate it before, I would say just kind of stick through it, through that painful part. And then I think you'll truly see like the fruits of your labor. So obviously TypeScript, huge impact on the community right now. So 
when we talk about JavaScript, this article also was talking about how they saw JavaScript becoming more full stack. Do you think that it can go beyond the front end and tackle backend features that go beyond serverless functions? And how do you see that manifesting? I mean, I think that the best example of that so far is the Next.js framework. It is truly, and it's the only one that I've used that is kind of, that wants to be everything. It wants to be able to do your API calls. It wants to be able to do your front end and all of that at at once. And it, to my, in my opinion, it's done it pretty damn well, actually. <laughs> so yeah, I think it absolutely can be full stack. And I think it's a good example of it, you know, there's up until now, there's been so much division between your node server that's doing all your backend secure things, your database and interactions, your what have you, and your front end, which is just serving up views and data and things like that. So I think that it can be, and I think that a lot of developers want it to be. So yeah, I think that that's something that people are going to to push more towards this year because it's it's just simpler and the easier that we make the development the better, the faster we can get things out to users, the better the experiences can be overall. I think you hit it on the head pretty well. I think Next.js or Versailles makes full stack development insanely easy because you don't actually know that you're doing full stack development. I guess I'm kind of confused with the question because like, I feel like, uh, you know, JavaScript has been pretty full stack for a while, right? You have, obviously you have like your node servers, et cetera. And at Netflix, we have a, we have good amount of apps that use node as well. I guess like with, I guess when you when you mean like beyond service functions, I guess maybe you're hinting towards the edge, maybe, and that's kind of what like kind of Vercel's pushing now. I don't want to go too deep on that, but yeah, I mean, we all know like we're not we all know, but service functions do have like inherent issues, like you know, cold starts and stuff like that, and then the edge goes out to seek that 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 issue. Um, and if you're not familiar with like edge functions are, it's effectively just like running JavaScript closer to your browser, right? Right now, currently, what we the traditional way of getting performance is using something like a CDN and caching your static assets. So then you don't have to go to your original server. You can just hit a CDN and get that those static assets back. Whereas the edge, you can execute your JavaScript closer to you versus going to some region that could be farther away, right? So maybe I'm like in Japan, I have to go to like US East. That wouldn't make sense, right? So you can have, have that JavaScript execute closer to you. And I think that's where we're pushing the boundaries there. I don't think the edge is mature enough yet, nor do I think that engineers truly understand the edge and its power yet. I think it's I think it's a cool like innovation. I think it's mature. Yeah. I think a lot of people hear the edge and they're like, cool, but I don't really know what problem it solves for me yet. Because one, it's the edge just sounds intimidating when you say it. And then two, like most engineers are kind of tackling the performance issues already. And they maybe they they don't know what they don't know. They don't know if they actually need the edge or not. So it's like an educational thing. Um, but I think after serverless functions, edge is next for sure. I When I was reading the edge in the notes, I was like, what is this? And I tried to Google it and all that came up was like Microsoft Edge or something. And I was like, well, I think I don't know what this is. And I had to ask someone what the edge is. <laughs> no, but I think, I like Trash said, I think it's super cool. I think the idea of like running like something, doing computation on a CDN is like crazy. That's like so cool to me. I will say like that the article that we're discussing was also saying that Sunil Pai suggested at the Jamstack conference last year that everyone start putting at least part of their website on the edge because it is, to Trash's point, becoming more 
available and workable for devs. Before we go on to our hot takes predictions, I just want to say that if you are enjoying the podcast, please follow us on Apple. Uh, that really helps us know what you guys like, tailor our content to fit what you want to hear, um, and keep bringing you new experiments like this panel that we're on today. So we're going to go into our hot takes. Each guest is going to have one minute to either talk about something they're passionate about, angry about, excited about looking forward to in 2023 um we're actually going to start with noel and i'm going to give you one minute and start all right i'm gonna build on the thing we were just talking about i feel like we spent a lot of time talking about like edge computing and how it's going to change everyone's like you know day-to-day developer lives potentially in the future and i don't think i don't think that most devs are going to actually need to think about it actively when doing 95 percent of development like in the long term, I think these kind of frameworks and tools, things like uh, like Vercel, are going to figure out things that can be done at edge and make that just kind of automatically happen in 99% of cases long term. So I don't think feel like this kind of edge stuff that we've spent a lot of time thinking about this year. I think right now there is um, like work that can be moved there uh, that can help optimize and make like web apps super snappy. But I don't think long term devs are going to need to care about it. Page. Do you mind if you go next? I'll give you one minute on the clock. So my hot take is going to be about AI because that has been extremely big this year with GitHub Copilot, with ChatGPT, with Amazon coming out with their own code whisperer. I can't remember the exact name of it, but basically, you know, a lot of people are talking about, is it going to take our jobs as developers? And the long and short answer of it is, no, I don't think it's going to. I think what it's actually going to do is enhance our jobs. It's just going to make us make it easier for us to write code. It's going to make it easier for us to get the stuff done that is not necessarily the most fun part of our jobs. But the part that I really enjoy about my job is the novel solving of problems. And that is something that AI, I don't think, is really quite able to do yet. Um it's just one of those things that it's great when you have a very specific problem, but not so much when you have a lot of ways that you could get to the right answer. So I think it'll just make it better. Uh, I don't think it'll going to take our jobs anytime soon. True. Do you want to go next? So I posted on Twitter asking people for their hot takes. I just want to read one because I think it's funny. Someone said staging is basically telling your team you don't trust them. And I thought that was hilarious. But it's not, I don't think it's a good take. I just think it's funny. But yeah, my hot take, I have a couple. The the big one is I think I posted, I post a lot about Tailwind because I really like Tailwind and I use it. And a lot of the reasons that people don't like Tailwind is they say it's just long class names. And to that, I think that's just a poor like reason to not use Tailwind. There's ways to mitigate that and make it easier for you to use. So I just think that's a bad excuse for not trying a different thing out. Like I just think of something better. <laughs> like I just I don't think that's a great way. Um, the other thing too is a lot of people are hyper focused on productivity when they're programming. So they try to make like their text input as fast as possible and try to do all these things to make it faster to code. When I, I was reading something, if you just add like 15 minutes to your day, I don't think it really adds much in your productivity output. And I think like people hyper-focus on it and they don't need to. That's it. That's my takes. As a Vim user, I'm offended. Yeah, that's a, it's targeted at you, baby. It's targeted at you. <laughs> Awesome. Also, uh, True was just on in January talking about Tailwind. So if you want to check out that episode, we'll put it in the show notes. Trash. 
I don't know if this is a hot take. This is more of like something I'm passionate about and I just like spreading the word. So I was on the podcast what, in December about TRPC. So of course, I'm going to talk about TRPC again. Um, a big goal of mine for 2023 is like upping my TRPC contributions. I'm just really passionate about like the project and just TypeScript in general. Um, so I just love shilling it whenever I can. So this is a great opportunity. If you haven't heard TRPC, TRPCIO, check it out. There's a podcast somewhere we scroll down on your spotify play. this is a big ad i'm so sorry but if you like type safety and you like to work productively in your code base check it out and add boom love it love it yes we'll put that in the show notes also Paige has also been on the podcast it's been a while but we'll also put her podcast episode in the show notes so you're all equally represented <laughs> thank you everyone um this has been absolutely so much fun. Thank you for joining us today. It was a great panel. Thank you for listening today. We really appreciate everyone's support, um, especially on episodes like this, so we can do more fun things like this. Thanks for listening and we'll see you soon. 